Guys, it's Nathan here. And I'm Sean. It's been one year since we started Petri Edition, and usually I find demarcations of time to be depressing and to remind me of mortality and, and failure. <laughs> but in this case, we've recorded a science podcast illuminating our listeners to the truth. Yeah, this is one anniversary that isn't uh, Memento Mori or whatever they're called, right? Like this one's actually marking one year over 60 releases of that primo science content you guys you gotta understand a year ago i was like a like a ripe peach in the flush of life so much juice whereas sean was his withered flower he had nothing (laughs) and this pod saved him and sucked me dry (laughs) But, but that's okay because the pod's worth it i like to think of you more as just like a really fat like powerful bumblebee I think, and you kind of bumbled into the flower that was me. I like to think more like a thick, fat octopus. <laughs> so basically, what you said, but with tentacles. <laughs> That's how I like to think. All right, I understand. But, but anyway, guys, <laughs> we're watching too much anime. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've been be watching Gurren Lagann on Hulu. Uh oh. Yeah. Woo. Anyway, so but guys, we wanted to thank you for joining us for a year of science. It's been tumultuous times. It turns out science matters. <laughs> yeah. We've learned recently that we're still empirical creatures. That that live in reality and it's been great to share all these vicissitudes with with other people yeah so thank you all for listening and you know here's to many more years of petri dish as long as the earth lives so hopefully another good decade of petri dish <laughs> yeah, <we'll see. laughs> petri dish is a product of petri dish media all rights reserved petri dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice do not get medical advice from a podcast And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Today's episode is brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are all unable to travel due to this pandemic type situation, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. That's the number 1-5-O-F-F. Go to thegallery.com, that's the G-A-L-R-Y.com, so that your wall will never be boring again. Hey everyone, this is Petri Dish. I'm Sean, a scientist. I'm Nathan, um, Sean's brother. <laughs> hey, bartender. <laughs> we went through like four titles for Nathan. <laughs> uh, and I feel good. No, I don't feel good. <laughs> You're the common man that yeah. gives us the zhuzh. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Nathan, the common man. Beautiful. Uh, today's episode is our part two on autoimmune diseases. So last time we talked about examples of some autoimmune diseases. But why the fuck is this happening? Why are your own police oppressing your own body? Defund T-cells. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we should pay T-cells at a much higher rate, but have a lot less job security. Mm. Right? Like that way there's more accountability, but also more incentive to join as a T-cell. <laughs> there's there's many autoimmune reforms that are all very interesting and controversial (laughs) but anyway having talked a lot about uh, autoimmune diseases we got to figure out what's going wrong in your body that's having your own body attack itself there's a much more elegant way to do that what's going on with your immune system right and we're going to talk about what some of the main theories are for what's causing these autoimmune diseases. And then that's kind of kind of naturally flow into the ways that we can currently treat them and some of the ways that we're trying to come up with that's new right. treatments for it. It's all about the flow, yo. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you, you want to turn this into a movie recommendation podcast? I don't want to out myself as someone who likes that movie. <laughs> what? 
Is oh. that a popular film? I have no idea. Oh. But Nathan likes the Eurovision film with Will Ferrell. I liked it enough that now I think I like Eurovision. <laughs> 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 Which I have like it's just so many weird feelings in. I haven't felt like this before. I haven't felt like this since I saw Spring Awakening and was like, like I hate, kind of hated it, but also I felt awake in something in me that then I pushed down. What? And then I pushed down. What's Spring Awakening? Oh, it's a musical about like 1890s German teenagers who have like a sexual awakening and there's all sorts of stuff and masturbation songs and eventually most of them die. Oh, good. Because <laughs> they're like, I'm so repressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they're dead. Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I feel like I've gone through a lot already. <laughs> I think we need to stop recording. No, <laughs> I no. need to lie down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, autoimmune diseases, why do they happen? Let's get into it. What's going on here? Okay, guys. So, first up, molecular mimicry. Sean, what's going on here? Right. So, if we're trying to ask the question, why would your body mistake some part of you as something foreign? Right. One possible option is that your body might have actually just recently out. watched Hedwig and the Angry Itch, and you're, you know, you're asking questions. <laughs> why is my body foreign to me? <laughs> Everyone, maybe should. I was an each German teenage boy. Everyone owes it to themselves to ask at least once. Um, <laughs> but the idea here is that maybe your immune system actually sort of was fighting off a virus or a bacteria right. or a fungus or something, and in that fight, kind of learned to recognize some piece of that virus that looks very similar to something within our own bodies, okay? So that concept, like Nathan said, is called molecular mimicry in that the bacteria or virus or something is mimicking some other part of our body, some protein somewhere. That's interesting. So it's like the virus and the bacteria are doing it on purpose. Probably not. Probably not. You, um, you did very successfully just dodge a trap of mine. <laughs> it's going to be like, are they like AI? I mean, I, I will say that mimicry does sound like someone's doing something on purpose. It implies sentience. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, it's just because molecular mimicry sounds so cool, I think. Yeah. The two M's. Right. And there's just like a fuck ton of viruses and bacteria. Some of them, their protein shells or coding or whatever is going to look like some shit in your body. Like that's just like random chance it's going to happen. Right. And so if you... Go back to our adaptive immune system episode. One of the things that we mentioned is that the pieces of stuff that the adaptive immune system learns to recognize isn't even a whole protein. Right. It's like a small chunk of a protein. Right. It's like 10 amino acids. Right. You know? It's like when you're in a bathroom and you see a out of a glory hole. You've only seen a little chunk of the protein, but you you know what's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nathan. I feel your eyes judging me for all my experiences. No, and I'm judging you back. I, I I am impressed with how much of our episodes can be related to like your Saturday nights. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dexterous. <laughs> I've got an agile mind and body. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, and you've gained a lot of experience with the years. Anyway, I thought you were gonna say wait so bad. And when I thought that, it revealed so much of myself to me. No. You're looking good. I'm, I'm okay. I think you lost a little bit of weight. I tried to eat only four pieces of chicken. <laughs> that was beautiful. I was actually wondering why you are stopping so soon. Anyway, uh, fuck me. Okay, hold on. Um, <laughs> but so what, what I was trying to say is that the part that your immune system recognizes is only a small part of a protein. And so you're right. Some virus proteins might look like human proteins. Yeah. Some fungal proteins might look like human proteins, but also even just a small chunk of the protein is all that's needed to really set off a mimicry. Okay, know. interesting. So it doesn't even have to be the whole protein that looks similar. And so, you know, it's unlikely that molecular mimicry alone explains where all autoimmune disorders come from. Right, this sounds like a problem that would be kind of easy to run into. Right. And based on the fact that autoimmune disorders are not that common. Right. And also that we do know that there is a genetic component to autoimmune diseases. Okay. So usually there, well, some autoimmune diseases are like very strongly heritable. Right. Like somebody has a mutation and then all their kids have an autoimmune disease. Like, Interesting. That does happen. 
in very what are called extremely rare autoimmune diseases because they're from like novel mutations right but most autoimmune diseases like when you do twin studies or something you find that like you have an elevated chance if you're a twin uh right if your twin has an autoimmune disorder then like you have an increased chance that you're gonna get it so mimicry is an important variable maybe like a triggering thing but there's got to be that kind of genetic substructure that enables an autoimmune fuck up. Yeah, yeah. It seems pretty likely that that has to be the case. Right. So like we were saying, or like you were saying, it seems like this would be really common if molecular mimicry was the only thing right. that caused this. Something like 99% of potential peptide antigens in bacteria, like if you take all of their proteins and chop them up yeah. into antigen sizes... Humans have them too. 99% are shared with human, right? So clearly it can't just be molecular mimicry. There must be, like you were saying, this sort of like substrata of naughtiness. Okay, well tell me a little bit about that substrata of naughtiness. Right, so let's start first with an example where we do know that molecular mimicry is involved. Okay, Okay? cool. So Guillain-Barre syndrome is an example of an autoimmune disease where your body ends up attacking the myelin on your neurons. Okay. But it starts off fighting a bacteria, Campylobacter jejuni. I think I was painted by a young man named Guillain-Barre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I was, well, I was studying in England, and I took, a, I took a couple weeks off, went to Paris, but I missed my flight, so I went to... I couldn't think of a joke in time. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you were I was painted. trying to think of a more pervert place. I was like really different from Paris. <laughs> like, you know, how no, like, like, but instead I went to Quebec. <laughs> and like just was immediately painted naked, like in the terminal. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I see. by an immigration officer named Guillaume Barret. So you're saying that like you were naked and the person painted a picture of you. Yeah, I was strip searched. Yeah, uh, because I was, I did bring them things I wasn't supposed to. Of course. And then he looked at me and said, "You're why caveman paint on walls." Mm. And then he painted me. And now yeah. there's a portrait of me in Justin Trudeau's dungeon. <laughs> yes, makes sense. <laughs> well, well, I think I don't know if we have to cut all of this, <laughs> but like we're gonna cut parts of it. So, something's gonna get cut. We ended a little <laughs> bit earlier. Um, but yes, they also painted me. <laughs> That's great. Uh, in the the with a maple leaf. Yes, so, That's the more PG version. The syndrome named after this artist that painted Nathan. Yes, might also maybe be caused by molecular mimicry from Zika virus. Oh shit! Yeah. So wait, did anyone have Guillain Barre before Zika came? Because isn't Zika like kind of new? Uh, yeah, Zika's fairly new and. People yeah, did have Guillain-Barre Do you think it's a before. Chinese or Democrat lab that made Zika virus in that case? Since, as we know, all viruses Why are come those from the two options? <laughs> oh, Russians! <laughs> uh, just kidding, guys. But, okay, so did anyone have Guillain-Barre before Zika? Right, so like I said, Campylobacter jejuni was a bacterial infection that they feel like can set off Guillain-Barre. And mm, so, okay, I So see. It, it seems like more than one thing might be able to contribute ah, molecular mimicry damn. to cause this syndrome. And there's actually a part of this conversation that we're going to have to kind of gingerly move through. Ah, the vaccine part. Right. So. So just quick trigger alert. We are going to talk about why vaccines are evil. No. No, Just kidding. kidding. What's, What's the issue here with vaccines and autoimmune responses? Well, so molecular mimicry is a potentially tricky topic when it comes to vaccination. Because vaccination, the whole point, is that you put some antigens in on purpose to try to activate your immune system so that it will recognize that disease in the future. I right? think it's so the state can flip a red button and we're all, go! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> inject some microchips into you so they can <laughs> yeah. control you. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, you know, how carefully you pick your antigens, how much do we know about which antigens set off molecular mimicry and which ones right. don't. Right. The main thing is that uh, I'm talking about this kind of gingerly, but... The reality is that the CDC knows that this is a potential issue. Oh, shit. Okay. And they're covering it up. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're constantly monitoring for it. I want to walk straight on the landmines you're gingerly avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, well, that's what's kind of annoying. You know, like I know someone who had a, had a, a poor response to a vaccine, and, and that's, you know, unfortunate for them. And, like, they were talking about it in the context of someone else being like, yeah, all vaccines are evil. And I was like, ah, oh, well, I was like, come on, man. Like, that's why people need to not think vaccines are evil. It's because on occasion people do like genuinely have bad immune responses to them. 
You yeah, know? that's yeah. like important, and that's traced, right? Like, didn't you right. tell Marianne Williamson? Yes. That- <laughs> yes. We have a vaccine episode. Yeah. And in that vaccine episode, I do mention that there is a system set up for reports to be gathered for any kind of adverse issues with vaccines. Yeah. You know, relating from like pretty mild or benign or like, you know, slight allergic reactions to like people having autoimmune diseases afterwards and everything. Right. And just the reality is it's an extremely rare problem. Right. But, you know, just like... For some people, an infection that might just be a regular kind of flu-like infection right. might set off something much worse. Right. Or like how with COVID, like most people, it's a respiratory illness. But for some people, they're flaccid for the rest of their lives. Right? Like, it's it seems unrelated, but there's all these sequelae that get up in the dick. And then... And then it is it. And then COVID goes, ah! Like a candiru. <laughs> it is a multi-organ situation for a lot of people. Yeah. It is. My d- is a multi-organ situation. Oh my god. <laughs> there's, a, there's a uterus in there. I don't think anybody. There's fallopian tubes. Nobody wanted any of this. <laughs> I'm a seahorse. What a nightmare. <laughs> and then like, like eight Nathans come out. Jesus. Yeah. I, I'm also asexually reproductive. No one. <laughs> there's like four Nathans just sprayed on the studio floor. Any of this. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, no, I mean, well, that's why vaccine misinformation is so problematic. Is like, it obfuscates those rare cases where we do want to trace what goes wrong for some people with a vaccine, you know? Yeah, I think vaccines are actually a pretty good spot where, like, the middle road argument is actually both true and, like, the most defensible one. Right. Which is, like, vaccines are something that we're doing stuff to your immune system. Your immune system is very complicated, and, and we're still learning a lot about how vaccines work, about how the immune system works. Right. They have a very, very, very large public health benefit. And a very small number of people are negatively affected. By right. That. And if 80 or 90% of people would just get the goddamn vaccine for something, that would cover and help the people who can't take the vaccine because they'd have an autoimmune response. Right. So, you know, there are vasculitis reactions, which are like inflammations of your vascular system that can happen from even stuff like influenza vaccines. Right. Okay. But again, it's all very, very rarely. And it is something that they are looking out for. But that's one of the reasons why on Twitter recently I saw a couple of scientists arguing that the COVID vaccines that have passed the phase one, two hybrid trials. Yeah, that means we've given them to monkeys and they survive. No, just kidding. Listen to our episode on clinical trials. Right. It it means we've given them to people and the number of people that we tested it in, it seems to be safe. Yeah. And now they're in phase three trials, so they're going to be treating 30,000 people. And some of these scientists were arguing, hey, phase one and two was good enough. Let's start giving it to more than 30,000 people. Like anybody who wants it, basically. Yeah. And a lot of other scientists, including me, are like, we need like full safety profiles on vaccines. Like vaccines are a good example of something that like, there's a reason why we do a phase three. Right. You know what I mean? Like we, we do need to know like, hey... Do people end up having problems? Is there like a, a kind of rare situation that maybe didn't come up in the phase one, two small clinical trial? Right. That when you do 30,000 people, you notice like, oh, 10 of them get really sick and you're like, oh shit, like we gotta, we have to at least warn people. Right. Or like we have to know that that's a right. possibility. If we don't know that, we give a vaccine to most Americans and like 0.1% of them have a really terrible response. Dude, Donald Trump's getting reelected, right? Like, like, like in- <laughs> so some of these things are talking about rolling out like a billion vaccine doses, right? And like, I'm sorry, if, if there's something that's a 0.1% problem, right. For a billion people, you need to at least know that it's a potential problem, right? Like, th- that might not stop you from doing it. People the have to be health, informed. The public health benefit might be so great that you do it anyway, but people need to know. And then on top of that, there's also the whole question of how long do these vaccines last? You know what I mean? If there's something that's like, oh, you know, in a smallish fraction of people, it causes this problem. But also, you need to get doses multiple times a year. It's like, shit, dude, I don't know. Like, I I don't know how many people are going to be able to roll that dice every single time. Right. So it's just, we need the clinical trials we do on vaccines. People who say, like, oh, let's take shortcuts. That's naughty. Yeah, that's not great. Okay, bioethically, yeah, that's not a good thing. Right. The MLB... You can't be going around different stadiums. Okay? You need to live in a bubble. All right? That's right. I listen to Left, Right, and Center. That's the only reason I know about baseball is Josh Barrow talked about it. <laughs> but, you know, all of that said, 
vaccines that do go through all of the clinical trial stuff are tested for safety and there is an ongoing constant monitoring yeah. for safety. Well, uh, a bit of a detour, but I think an important one. Yeah. Let's get back to our autoimmune babies. Right. So so I guess the, the last thing that I'll say to finish up molecular mimicry is that one particular virus that seems to come up a lot. Oh, my God, dude. And I think we both know why. But you, you go first. <laughs> that seems to come up a lot in molecular mimicry discussions and autoimmune and chronic inflammatory discussions is... Say it. <laughs> Say it! I don't want to anymore. <laughs> is the Epstein-Barr virus. Fucking Jeffrey Epstein and William Barr in 1977 worked in the same lab and made this virus. What are the odds that these two people would be in the news nowadays? Yeah. And, and Both like, in nefarious ways. Yeah, yeah. Both bad. And then also there's this fucking virus. Anyway, that they invented. I know that's a crazy mess. coincidence. It's a goddamn mess. Just, just kidding. <laughs> I, I want to say this real quick. They did not invent this virus. But what's interesting <laughs> is that like in something in, like, for example, multiple sclerosis, there does seem to be this association between Epstein-Barr virus, molecular mimicry, multiple sclerosis, but only in people that have a like specific kind of mutation huh. in their HLA gene, which huh. uh, again, that's the gene that helps in antigen display so that your t-cells can like learn about antigens yeah. well that's pretty sexy yeah so you know the that i think is a little bit right. of what you were talking about earlier like what kinds of genetic issues might kind of spur a little bit of this this is so complicated man the immune system is such a clusterfuck it's kind of like how in the 40s like i mean i, I think the end double acp knew better than this but a lot of people thought like oh Fine, racism is going to be just like changing hearts and minds. And now you're like, oh, geez, there's like all these institutional mechanisms by which racism is perpetuated. Like, what are we going to do about this institution? What are we going to do about like hundreds of years of economic deprivation, redlining, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. Tell me, weeds. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I do also think that there was a there was a feeling, especially amongst white people like us, more or less, that like <laughs> as the word racist became like, Badder, yeah. That people would just like stop being racist because right. they didn't want to be that thing. Yeah. But then we just found out like most of them just got quieter about being racist. Like in yeah, like spaces. me. <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. Oh, you're so naughty. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you thought that bitch. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, racism is bad, and like there's fewer people saying racist stuff, so there right. must be fewer racists. But uh, no. Yeah. I was wrong. Whoopsie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're an immunologist, Sean, right? Yeah. So why'd you go into a field that's such a clusterfuck? It sounds like, how are you ever going to disaggregate all these things working together? Yeah, well, it is tough. I, I think I went into immunology because it felt like something that touched a lot of human diseases. Right. I think almost necessarily. I right? think you're in a codependent relationship with science, dude. <laughs> 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 right to the heart. <laughs> I, think, I think most scientists are. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, it, it's it's... I'm just imagining you being like in your lab, you're like, science is my lady. And they start fucking a beaker. Oh, wow. And you're yelling at you like, why don't you love me back? Why don't you love me? It's kind of generous of you to pick a beaker instead of like a graduated cylinder or something a little bit skinnier. Dude, you you got a BDE hundo peep. <laughs> All right. I have tried so hard to get to that line from Eurovision. <laughs> that kid needs a future in acting. <laughs> that actor is a hero. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. yeah, for everyone to appreciate Woo! that, you're going to have to watch Eurovision on Netflix. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The sponsor of the show, Netflix. Yeah. Help feed the monster. <laughs> hey, guys, well, let's take a break. Yeah, fuck. A lot to edit. Sorry, Stacy. Uh, <laughs> let's take a break. And after that, we're going to talk about all sorts of other ways shit can get fucked up. In this case, we're going to misfold our ciabatta bread. We're going to knead it wrong. We're going to misfold our proteins. Nice. Do you love Avatar The Last Airbender, but have rewatched it so many times that you're going insane? Are you biting your nails and slamming your head against the wall, waiting for Netflix to finally release Korra? Are you so desperate that you've even tried She-Ra? Or God forbid, actual Asian anime? Well, we at Netflix have some advice. 
Go try M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar, The Last Airbender movie. Relive all your favorite stories. Worse. Join all your favorite characters. Wider. From the brilliant mind behind Lady in the Water, The Happening, Split, but also Glass, is Avatar, The Last Airbender. Watch it now, ye consumer and despair. On Netflix today. Okay guys, we're back with Petri Dish. Now some of you hopefully remember that little little protein babies, little protein bitties in your body, they fold. Wow, yeah. That was great. Which Nathan. means they can misfold. Bum bum bum. Yeah, that's true. So to get into this story, one thing that you should know is that your body actually has pretty stringent controls to prevent you from making B cells and T cells that are auto-reactive or that hate stuff from your own body. Right. But just like the movie Dr. Strangelove, sometimes controls don't work. And just like the modern Republican Party, sometimes Donald Trump becomes your nominee. <laughs> Whoopsie! Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So you can have mistakes that happen in that process. And if a mistake happens there, then you can develop an autoimmune disorder. And that's a bummer. Usually this process, this weeding out process, involves you showing really new T-cells little bits of proteins that you make. Yeah. And then any T cells that flip out because of that, you kill them before okay. they do anything else. Wow. Um, That's bleak. Now, the thing is that when you're doing that screening process, you usually don't necessarily screen for proteins that are misfolded or have mutations in them. Why not? Because those misfolded or mutated proteins might be somewhere else in your body. Not where the T-cells are getting kind of matured. So if the FBI has a dragnet for, like, Muslim terrorists, they're missing all the white supremacist terrorists. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Yes. Because they're the guys who are just, like, shooting up churches and synagogues, man. <laughs> we um, got to catch those guys. Yes, yes, that's true. So basically, you're, you're screening the T-cells to make sure that they don't attack all of these, you know, normal proteins, but you might have a misfolded one somewhere and then a T cell will get matured that actually targets that misfolded protein somewhere else in your body. And then you can have an autoimmune disease because of that. What about prions? Well, I mean, prions are misfolded proteins. And Dear God, why isn't the FBI looking into misfolded proteins? <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. I mean, in, okay. in the case of prions, especially like kind of larger aggregates of those, right. you probably do want your immune system to try to get rid of them. Yeah. Well, is a misfolded protein, does it do the same thing as a prion does? Is it like hit another protein and misfolds that fucker too? It doesn't have to. Okay. It doesn't have okay. to. Some misfolded and mutated proteins are more aggregation prone. Yeah. That like part of their misfolding makes them more likely to aggregate, but not all of them necessarily. Okay. And so, you know, you might have this situation where you have a lot of misfolded proteins, which seems to happen sometimes in aging-related degenerative stuff. Or you might have, like, non-fatal mutations that, like, don't kill you or don't cause huge problems, right. but do kind of mess with your proteins enough that now you just kind of created a new antigen that your immune system doesn't recognize as yourself. Damn. And it doesn't actually have to just be from misfolding or a mutation. It can also be from post-translational modifications, like a citrullination. Citrullination, yeah, for rheumatoid arthritis. Very we sexy. We talked about last time. Right. Okay, so that's like, that's under-policing problems. But then there can also be an over-policing problem. We've done our job too well. Too many cops on the street. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think that, I don't think that one was an under-policing problem. It'd be like you have a screening process for police, yeah. but you don't ask any questions about whether they're a white supremacist or not. Right, whoopsie. And then you end up with some police officers that are white supremacists right. because you weren't screening for it properly. That's right? interesting. So that's, that's what that issue is, okay. is, is an incomplete screening process. Right. There might also be kind of a natural consequence of trying to do your job well. Okay. That could be at hand here in autoimmune disorders. Okay. So a paper came out really recently that has a different theory for where autoimmune disorders come from, especially autoimmune disorders that involve the endocrine or exocrine tissues. 
Uh, what are those again? Those are things that like secrete hormones and stuff like that. Okay, so some some hormones are secreting too good. Well, it's just there's a number of autoimmune diseases like type 1 diabetes, Hashimoto's, Addison's that target those kinds of tissues. Okay. okay. They're like, I mean, type 1 diabetes, pretty common. Right. Right. But also Hashimoto's and Addison's are like not that uncommon. They're like pretty rare. But Compared like, to a lot of autoimmune disorders, they're right. like... People got them. Right. And so the idea is that in a lot of these hormone-secreting tissues, it's really important to get the balance right because hormones signal all over your body. And they can do all kinds of, like, growth stuff. They can set off tissues to, like, be really disbalanced if you have too much hormone going on. Yeah. Or too little hormone. So you, you, You've you got to, like, too much hormone going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like all getting over me. <laughs> <laughs> you getting like a contact high? Yeah, now I'm getting too much hormone going on. What hormone are you talking about? <laughs> estrogen. <laughs> Just waves and waves of estrogen are washing over me. Damn it. Okay. So the idea is that these hormone-making tissues have feedback loops to try to control the hormone production and cell growth. And that cells that mutate to lose control could be really dangerous. So... The immune system takes on an extra role in those tissues to really watch out for cells that go overboard. Right, but just like the modern Chinese state, the panopticon that they've developed in the concentration camps of Uyghurs, they've gone too far. They're over-surveilling things. Right, or that watching super carefully might have its own negative consequences that naturally come out of that. Right. right? Which, uh, what was that called? And then, like, New York or whatever. Broken window policy? Right. It was the idea that, like, if you really heavily police these areas to the point where, like, really minor infractions are policed very seriously, that, like, you would see crime go down. Right. Ignoring the societal impact right. of being so significantly over-policed. Yeah. Or to finally not talk about police, it's like fracking, right? Is like... We just like frack the fuck out of the Midwest and wow, we're fracking so good. We're getting all this oil, we're pumping oil. Also some earthquakes, whoopsie daisy, right? Maybe we're fracking too good. Now people's water are on fire. Yeah, We've okay. over fracked. Okay, okay. Um, but this person's argument, this lab's argument is that the over surveillance or the heavy surveillance by the immune system of these hormone producing tissues can cause the immune system to start targeting the regular hormone producers not just the aberrant ones yeah but this researcher works for data for progress so i don't know if i believe no. that all right oh so naughty <laughs> this is a super recent theory though that's so I cool think there's more people that need to vet right, it and there's right. probably going to be a lot of back and forth over how big a contributor it is but it's possible that this is a heavy explaining factor for endocrine and exocrine autoimmune diseases specifically. Okay, that's and pretty cool. And maybe not so much for like MS or something. Okay, well, shut up. <laughs> shut your mouth. Okay, guys, we're going to take a, a beautiful little break, okay? And then we're going to talk about immunosuppressants. Uh, let me rephrase that. We're going to talk about how we can treat autoimmune diseases. Like, can we? Yeah. Like, like, well, though? Well. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about how we are trying to treat autoimmune diseases after the break. The following is an actual advertisement. Book Retorts is a podcast about what happens when you try to explain your weird media finds to your friends. We've got dragons. Davio's dragon, which name is Deborah. Deborah the dragon. That's my favorite. <laughs> it's so good. And questionable science. They want to like drive the moon out of the solar system and like fly it off like a big spaceship. And it's bonkers. <laughs> Destroy the Earth. Nancy Drew investigates. There's a new boy in town. But is he human or vampire? And ask the tough questions. And how is it that you explain the coffin in your parlor? Which is a legitimate question. <laughs> I got it. And it doesn't make sense in the books either. <laughs> There's also romance. They ruin their nice date. I mean, well, that was the whole point of karate chopping the person earlier and coming into the <laughs> right. restaurant, Sam. So join us every Wednesday as we take on the weirdest books, movies, graphic novels, and whatever else we find over at bookretorts.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh. 
So Sean, now we need to talk about how we can actually treat these autoimmune diseases. And this is a really important subject to a lot of our listeners. So Sean, how do we treat autoimmune diseases? Right. So, you know, it stands to reason, hey, if the immune system's being really naughty, is there a way that we can turn it off some? And I mean, and that seems kind of like a tricky thing, right? <laughs> right. So very broadly, there are things called immunosuppressants that you can take and they suppress your immune system. There's a lot of different kinds. These can usually be separated into maybe two big categories. One would be traditional and the other would be Velveeta cheese. Just kidding. <laughs> when I eat Velveeta cheese, I'm like sick for days afterwards. <laughs> My immune system's very suppressed. <laughs> I'm just like, ah! <laughs> So you just eating blocks of Velveeta cheese now? Yeah, and then the next day I'm like the girl from The Exorcist. <laughs> I'm just like, your mother's not fucking hell! <laughs> Wow. Yes. Okay. So, two different kinds of immunosuppressants, the traditional ones and the biologics. Okay. Traditional ones are drugs like uh, methotrexate or cyclophosphamide, which we're actually going to talk about in our fungus episode, which is soon. They reduce the proliferation of cells, um, can sometimes be used as a chemo drug for cancer, and they also can kill T cells and other immune cells. Right. Another example is uh, chloroquine. Okay. And hydroxychloroquine. Okay, I'm glad that we've finally taken the right step forward. We're supporting our president. <laughs> hydroxychloroquine is good for COVID. Well, it does seem... <laughs> Stop me! <laughs> yes, it's not good, or it, it just, it doesn't do anything for COVID. Okay. As far as we can tell. Well, why do some people, like, die of, of, of chloroquine? Oh, it can cause heart arrhythmias. Okay, okay. And so, not helpful for COVID... If poorly applied, could kill you. Yeah, well, so whenever you use a drug, even if a drug is safe for one condition that they tested it for. Like shrooms. Uh, <laughs> hydroxychloroquine gets used for lupus. Oh, okay. Awesome. Uh, and is also an anti-malarial drug. Okay, yeah. Okay? In those conditions, hydroxychloroquine is like relatively safe. Right. Okay. But even the same dose you use for those, using them in covid can mean that there are extra risks involved. Right. One thing that we were, that you and I were talking about off air was that a recent study shows that COVID seems to damage a lot of people's hearts. Yeah. If you have a damaged heart plus something that can cause heart arrhythmias, yeah. that could explain why so many people or a good chunk of people have an unsafe reaction to hydroxychloroquine. What if your heart's already damaged? Like, if Trump, hear me out. If Trump got COVID, could it heal his damaged heart like the Grinch and make it grow double the size? <laughs> and it's like, America, I love you all. You're all beautiful. We're going to be great moving forward. Yeah, unfortunately, biology doesn't really work like, uh, like the Grinch math, like two, two negatives in a positive kind of situation. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, That's too bad. Yes. It's but okay, so, so chloroquine. Pretty useful immunosuppressant. It can calm down T cells and B cells, and it can reduce some inflammatory cytokines, which is actually one of the reasons why it was so bad that people were stockpiling hydroxychloroquine. We need that for, like, actual human things. There are people who were getting treated for lupus that suddenly couldn't get their drugs anymore because of shortages. Yeah, right? that's bad. Yes. So those are kind of like traditional immunosuppressants. There are also biologics, and by that usually I mean antibodies, that will go in there and actually bind onto something and keep it from working or okay. kill it or something like that. Okay. So rituximab is an example. It's an antibody that actually binds to a protein on B cells yeah. and leads to B cells getting killed. I think also Chris Rock's dad used to pour that on open wounds to heal him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put some rituximab on it. <laughs> it does sound like Tussin. So you're... Sounds like an off-brand one. It's <laughs> yeah. like the tab of Robitussin. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's a little funny. You're using an antibody to kill B cells. B cells are the cells that make antibodies. Damn. So, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. You're we, basically... We let lizards in. Then we're going to bring snakes to get them out of Springfield. <laughs> now we need gorillas and they'll die off in the winter. <laughs> So with the uh, eventual killing of those immune cells, you know, you can kind of reduce the autoimmune issue if it was because of a B cell. Awesome. Why is it called the biologic? So that's the contrast. They have a different approval process through the FDA hmm. because they're basically a protein. Oh, treatment. that's cool. Okay. Because antibodies are proteins. Okay. As opposed to like small molecule drugs that are like, you know, just a bunch of carbons and atoms put together. And yeah, everything. and as opposed to goop, 
<laughs> which uh, does not go through the FDA. <laughs> right, right, right. Like homeopathy. Yeah, it just Agreed. goes straight through Gunapultra's body. <laughs> right into the tube that she sells to you. So, uh, rituximab targets CD19, which is a protein on the surface of B cells. There are other antibodies that are also used um, to target immune system stuff. So, Humira, Enbriel, Symponi. Symphony? I wonder how you're supposed to say that. I don't remember. I haven't watched My Little Pony in a while. Remicade. Those are all antibodies that target TNF-alpha, which is a cytokine. Okay, cool. And then you also have a teclizumab, which targets IL-6, which is another cytokine. Ooh, one of they, the great Aztec kings. They were trying that one out for COVID, but yeah. it didn't really work very well. Mepro, um, mepolizumab uh, targets IL-5, which is Ooh. another cytokine. So you have a, a lot of these antibodies. So you get the idea, though. You have these antibodies. They bind up immune stuff and either keep them from doing things or they bind up immune cells and then help them get killed. Very sexy. Okay. So mentioned earlier with lupus, there might also be antibodies that bind to receptors where the receptors themselves inhibit the immune system. So you can have these antibodies coming in and basically turning those receptors on and inhibiting the immune system without okay. having to kill them. Cool. You have to be careful with all of these immunosuppressive treatments. The immune system still does important things. You suppress the immune system, maybe fucking pneumonia gets in you. Right. You get an increased chance of having some kind of opportunistic infection hop right. in. And so, you know, you need to be really careful with how much you get um, and hopefully, you know, tailoring the amount or when you get it to, like, not be immunosuppressed all the time. Okay, what about Advil? <laughs> Advil, also treatment yeah. for autoimmune diseases. Well, so there are anti-inflammatory drugs. There's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like Advil and stuff, and there's also steroidal options like corticosteroids, prednisone, dexamethasone. Mm. Dexamethasone is one that has been found to help with COVID, okay. for example. But the idea is to try to get the inflammation part tamped down. But to be clear, that's more like a treatment than a cure because the cure aspect would be focusing on the fact that you have an autoimmune adaptive response, right? Like it learned something wrong. Right. Whereas anti-inflammatory drugs are really just trying to deal with some of the more active tissue damaging parts. Okay, okay. But they can have side effects too, sometimes which are not great, you know, especially the steroids can have a lot of side effects. Right. But what makes me sad, Sean, about all these things, we're suppressing our immune system, feels like we're at war with ourselves. Why can't we just teach our T-cells to forgive and forget? Yeah, so like for so many things, education is the great panacea, right? (laughs) If only. (laughs) Yeah, right. If only we could pull it off properly. Um, (laughs) So actually, This is a huge area of research, one that I participated in, um, is the idea of what are called tolerogenic treatments. Did you just push the envelope too much and you got kicked out? (laughs) You're just too much of a free radical? For my postdoc, I switched over to cancer, and for that, you want to turn the immune system on. So I'm doing the other side of the coin right now. Damn. But in, in my PhD, a lot of what I was looking at were things to try to calm down the immune system including a little bit of work on tolerogenic treatments, which is trying to teach the immune system that something is not a bad thing. Right. That an antigen is actually chill, that they can just calm down about it. Yeah. So, like, originally this was just Kenny G, but, like, we started to find actual, like, biological tolerogenic treatments. (laughs) (laughs) I see. I see. For calming down. You would just lock a guy in a room and play Kenny G for 48 hours. You put like little nano speakers in their blood. Right. And they're dead. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe it works. (laughs) Well, so the idea is that instead of broadly telling your immune system to shut down or broadly telling it to calm down, really what you want is to show your immune system a specific antigen and say, hey, this, this thing that you're attacking right now is a part of you. Yeah. Please stop. (laughs) Right. Please please stop doing that. Right. This is a good thing. And so there's two main cell types that kind of are naturally part of a system. Right. To try to tell you to calm down immune responses. Right. Uh, They're called tolerogenic dendritic cells and regulatory T cells. Right. Also known as the Republican Party holding a mail-in ballot 
being like, Donald, we use mail-in ballots. Stop it. And Donald Trump is just like, no, we're the party of old people. We need ballots. No, you just rename it to absentee ballots are okay, oh. but mail-in ballots are bad. That's true. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Um, okay. So there's actually currently clinical trials for the treatment of autoimmune disorders using tolerogenic dendritic cells. So it'd be like you take out dendritic cells from the person's body. Right. And then in a dish, in a petri dish. Oh, <laughs> Whoa, you, good pun. <laughs> I don't know if that's a <laughs> What pun. is a pun? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always tells me they hate puns. What is it? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think puns is just a nickname for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm a. That sounds like a Terry Pratchett character somehow to me. Like someone is just like this universal pun. Like someone is just like this misbegotten pun born out of the cosmic nothingness. I like it. It's a pun for life. It's a good. It's a good Discworld. I don't know what it means though. Rest in peace, Terry Pratchett. So in this clinical trial, they take dendritic cells out of the person, and then in little dish, they put chemicals on to try to train those dendritic cells to take up whatever the main antigen is we think the body is negatively responding to. Okay, cool. And turn them into tolerogenic dendritic cells and then put them back into the body. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, those... It, it, it works in mice. <laughs> Clinical trials are ongoing. We'll see if it works in people. This is, like, really recent work. Regulatory T cells are sort of the adaptive side that usually interface with those dendritic cells. And then regulatory T cells go around and tell your other adaptive immune cells to stop doing what they're doing. Right. Some of these trials are using the regulatory T cells themselves to try to calm down autoimmune disorder. So instead right. of doing it on the dendritic cell level, skipping over to the regulatory T cell level, well, those trials exist also. Right. Um, All this stuff is very preliminary. But if it works, that could be pretty cool, right? Like That could be like a really big deal. Yeah, so this isn't in the notes, but those two things that are in trials are cell-based therapies, okay. which means taking cells out, doing shit to them, putting them back in. Yeah. The work that I was doing and that kind of similar labs are doing yeah. has to do with using nanoparticles right. to deliver stuff to cells in your body to change their behavior. So instead cool. of taking the cells out and messing with them, you're basically doing the same messing with them, right. but you're doing it still inside the body. Right. right. So you'd inject these nanoparticles, and the nanoparticles would have the antigen in question, you know, okay. so a piece of a protein that belongs in your body. Right. And then usually some drug that is a little immunosuppressive. Right. Or some kind of drug that kind of tweaks dendritic cells to make them tolerogenic. Interesting, okay. And then you put that in the body, and then dendritic cells eat up those nanoparticles, get a dose of the drug, get a little bit of the antigen, and then they should be chilling out. I like it. This is the way of peace, dude. The Mandalorian needs to fight for freedom. Okay, Baby Yoda. So there, there's actually... <laughs> Does anyone remember that show? <laughs> <laughs> Was it? When was that? I think like 2004. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. It, the before times. It, yeah, it feels so long ago. Um, there's actually a little bit of work coming out of like even the lab that I'm in right now, where instead of worrying about kind of affecting dendritic cells and turning them tolerogenic, it's just about delivering antigen to your liver cells. Yeah. Because as it turns out, your liver is a site that is kind of, um, it's very accepting. It's a very accepting zone. Okay. And so it's a place where I, I think because there's a lot of damage that can happen in your liver as it's detoxing stuff, it's a place where it's automatically predisposed to not have these kinds of uh, autoimmune reactions go on. Cool. And so there's already cells just hanging out in your liver that if they get a dose of antigen, seem to be able to tell the rest of your body that like that antigen is on the cool list. That's cool. So there's some treatments like that. Okay. And then our buddy Matilde actually texted me a paper really recently. Cool. That is about nanoparticles for blocking the DNA LL37 complex okay. in skin psoriasis. Oh. Last episode, we talked oh. about psoriasis. Yeah. And 
We even talked about how LL37 is a peptide that neutrophils make. Right. And neutrophils barf up DNA. And when those two things mix together, they make like a really serious immune response. Right. And that that seems to happen a lot in a lot of cases of psoriasis. And in this kind of application, this treatment of it is a nanoparticle that kind of binds up those things and blocks them and keeps them from being able to set off an immune response. So it'd be like a topical nanoparticle cream to put on your plaque psoriasis. How do you read these papers? What does that mean? I don't know. I like, (laughs) you know, like I think, you know, me and most people, you know, we look at a paragraph and it's like immunodixalacamate. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. But you just like read whole words put together in a row that make a thought, you know, and like, yeah, it seems hard. It takes a while, you know what I mean? It takes a while. You, you start to get used to jargon, right? you know, as you get deeper into a field. But it does mean that when I hop around to like a completely different field, right. the papers take a little while to sink in if they ever do. You know right. what I mean? Like if I'm reading like a serious physics paper, I'm like, shit, dude, that's a lot of words. Yeah. That's a whole lot of words I'm not sure about. Also a garbage field. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the, the hits keep coming. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, cool. Okay, so that's... So that's the way of peace. That's the future, hopefully. We'll teach our body to love, not hate. Whoa. Yeah, so instead of broad immunosuppression, more specific. Very targeted. Targeted therapies that can make it so that we just kind of tweak specific behaviors through education. So beautiful. How do you think that this would work in a private market? Or would it be better to institute like a Medicare for all? How would you pay for these treatments in that system? Like what's the cap, do you think? <laughs> well, I would always do a Medicare for all. Do you think exchanges were better? Oh, okay, okay, I see. I just think everyone should be healthy. I think that's just part of being a person is being able to get healthy. Okay, well, let's end this uh, edition of the Communist Hour <laughs> with Comrade Sean. <laughs> all right, well, yeah, so Comrade Sean says thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Fidel Castro, our... <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding our forever lord <laughs> yeah right. um no but uh yeah thank you dad for art thank you griffin for animation you should make more you little son of a bitch yeah where's our animation griffin you little bastard i mean we don't pay him so that's true you know whatever anyway insane truth <laughs> servant griffin and uh you know all our listeners thank you so much to everyone who's on patreon you can support us you can support us on patreon <laughs> for as little as a dollar a month so, you know, to, to help us keep doing this thing. Thank you guys who are already doing it. Yeah. You know, thank you to everyone who's reviewing, who's subscribing. Uh, you know, yeah, science. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Save the world one child at a time through vaccines. What? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> we'll see you all next time. Ich benign science. Da 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 da